<laughs> well, good morning. Thank you for that introduction, Don. All right. It's been a been here. We've been pastor here for 14 years and no one's ever done that. So anyway, um, uh, if you are new to Chillicothe Bible Church, we want to welcome you, extend a special welcome to you. We are grateful and excited that you are here. Uh, one of the things I like to do from time to time is to highlight some resources that are available in our library for you, for you to check out. And I'm going to introduce two of them today. Uh, one is a brand new. Um, it is just making it into the library today. It's called Women of the Word um, by Jen Wilkin. Um, how to study the Bible with both our hearts and our minds. And if you are a woman who does not yet know how to study the Bible for yourself, this is a great tool for helping you do that. Um, so that'll be available um, if it doesn't if it's picked up off this table, um, then uh, you'll have to look for it after it comes back. But um, I, at, at the end of the day today, I will uh, put it in the library. Also, there's this book uh, by John Piper. Um, it's come out a number of years ago, but it's a great book called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, there's a, uh, a tremendous amount of distractions in our culture. Uh, you know, you can spend literally all day wasting time on your phone, right? Um, you can uh, you can get on to Fortnite, or you can, uh, you know, uh, this dates me some, but you know, I have friends who spent ten thousand hours playing World of Warcraft online when that was a thing, right? Uh, you can waste big chunks of your life and get to the end and go, well, where did all the time go? Well, a lot of times. It went into things that weren't of lasting value or significance. And so that book is about living a Jesus-directed, Jesus-centered life and how to do that. And so I encourage you to pick it up and read it. Um, this book is one of my favorite books. Um, this is my personal copy. You cannot have this. It, has, it is, it is uh, my copy of the one-year Bible complete with coffee stains, Okay. Um, and <laughs> because I have used it. Um, this is what I'm going to use this next year. Many of you have joined us um, uh, online through the YouVersion uh, app on your phone to go through the, uh, through the Bible in a year. We're wrapping up the Robert Murray McShane reading plan right now, and that'll finish at the end of uh, this year. And then January 1, we'll start through the one-year Bible. And uh, I like this one because it's a printed copy, but you can, and so if you want to get a printed copy, they're available, they're relatively cheap uh, in paperback, I think they're about 10 bucks. Um, but you can also do it online through version, and you read one chapter of Old Testament, um, one uh, section of New Testament, it's usually not a whole chapter, and then a psalm and a line from Proverbs or two. And so uh, it takes you about 10 minutes, roughly, to read through the day's reading, and they're all dated, you know, so you can turn to, uh, let's say, you know, June 2nd, and then you read, and then uh, you uh, can interact. On, uh, in, on the YouVersion group, you can comment and uh, talk back and forth and share prayer requests and that kind of thing. Many of us have done that over the last several years. Um, 
and uh, we'll be doing that again. So if you are not on version, uh, that's fine. Get yourself a paper copy um, and of this, and that's what we'll be doing. Uh, if you if you have a smartphone, you want to use version, great. Um, you just, in order to be in the group, need to send me a, um, a request that, hey, I'd like to do this. And, uh, and we'll sign you up for it, and you can participate. Okay? So download the app, and, uh, and we'll do it together over the next year. And it's fun. Now, with all that in mind, let's pray. And, uh, and let's then spend some time in God's Word. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are so gracious to us, that you supply us with your Word and Spirit that we might know you, that we might be filled with your power to walk in the way that your word commands us, that you bless us with community, a community of faith that we can be part of, a family of God, uh, to help us to grow and to encourage us and to walk with us through the, uh, the ups and downs of life. Uh, Father, we are grateful that it's Christmas and that we get to be reminded and also to celebrate what Jesus uh, has done for us in his coming, and to look forward to his second coming when he will fulfill all the remaining promises of Scripture. And Father, I pray as we spend time in your word this morning that you might cause us to rejoice in these things. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week as we began our time our little study here at Christmas through Luke's gospel account of Jesus' incarnation. The word that I hope that you would remember or maybe write in your Bible and uh, hold in your heart was the word believe. Believe. Because what I was doing in that was encouraging all of us to believe God's word and his promises. However improbable they might seem, however impossible they might sound, uh, that however far out of step they might be with uh, its current, our current culture or even with the desires of our own sinful hearts, because God is faithful and God is all-powerful and always good, He always, always keeps all of His promises and His Word always proves true in every circumstance. So that was last week. This week, there's a different word I want you to remember. And it's the word rejoice. This is a season of rejoicing. Amen? And we live in a deeply cynical, deeply suspicious culture. We, we live in a, in a culture in which uh, we are uh, suspicious of the idea that somebody somewhere is unironically enjoying anything. And so we who are believers in Jesus Christ have so much, by contrast to that, to authentically enjoy and to rejoice in. And despite all of the trials and difficulties and troubles of this life and this time and this place, we can and we must still rejoice in God our Savior. And so as we look at God's Word this morning, I want to encourage us all to rejoice this Christmas in who God is and what He has done. And as part of that, I want to show us what real rejoicing looks like from the Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, uh, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And if you'd stand as we read the first section of this, 
This is what the Word of God says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Uh, I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but suppose that you were an ordinary, pious, virginal Jewish girl living in a small village in Galilee. You go to synagogue every Sabbath to hear the, the Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings taught. And you look forward to those days because on those days you get to rest from all of the hard work of household chores and cooking. Three times a year, you go up with your family to Jerusalem to celebrate the major festivals. And those are special times, indeed. Now that you're a grown-up young woman, you're looking forward to your marriage in less than a year to a good and godly man from your village. You're hopeful that your marriage will be a sweet blessing from the Lord, and that together you'll have many children underfoot, enough food on your table to feed them all, and that all your children will make it through childhood. These are your hopes. These are your dreams. And none of this is very surprising because this is how life is for good and godly small-town women in your day. Not much ever changes. Not much surprising ever happens. It is true that some 1,000 years ago, one of your ancestors had been the great king of Israel, but no members of your family have sat on a throne for 600 years. It was an ordinary day, an ordinary girl, in an ordinary place. And on just such an ordinary day, an extraordinary thing happened. The angel Gabriel appeared. Can you imagine what that would be like? Here you are in your house. Perhaps you're making a loaf of bread for your family. And then all of a sudden, in an ordinary place to an ordinary girl, a great and powerful angel appears. And he speaks to you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. 
I think the word startled would be, you know, in my house, it's, it's amazing how many times I have scared Karen half to death, right? Which, which always makes me wonder, like, what happens if you scare someone half to death twice, right? But, um, but, but in any case, like, she will know I'm in the room, right? And then all of a sudden, I will, like, come around the corner and she'll be like, <gasps> right? And I'm like, it's just me. I'm still here in the room, right? But imagine that, that it's not someone you expect to see. That a great and powerful angel appears in your house with you. Man, I'm thinking at, at, at some point you have to pick yourself up off the floor, right? How startling is this? The text here says that she was troubled by the angel's greeting. I think that's a little bit of Lucan understatement, right? <laughs> um, startled, fearful, uh, shocked, troubled. She wondered about it. The angel reassures her of God's blessing and tells her something very important you need to know whenever an angel greets you. Do not be afraid. But instead, to understand that God is going to fulfill His great promise of the Messiah, the Son of God, the eternal ruler on David's throne through her and a child that she would bear. Now, I don't know what's more shocking. The fact that an angel appears or the fact that this is what He tells you. Can you imagine this? No one is set on David's throne in 600 years. But you are about to bear a child, Mary. You, this ordinary woman in an ordinary small town, in an ordinary place, at a time when Roman rule expands the known world. You are going to bear the child who is the fulfillment of all God's promises, all Old Testament expectation. He will sit on the throne of His father David and He will be called the Son of the Most High. What? Right? Can you imagine this? Mary is not confused about the facts of life, and so she asked uh, the, the question that would naturally arise to you uh, if you are a virgin, and that is, you know, look, virgins do not conceive. So how is this going to happen? And Gabriel explains that God Himself will bring about the conception by miraculous means. He who made the first humans from nothing will himself become incarnate in her womb. And though she has not asked for a sign, Gabriel gives her one. Tells her, your relative Elizabeth has conceived in her old age because nothing is impossible with God. And I love Mary's attitude to the biggest news that any woman could ever get. You see what she says? I am the Lord's servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary, in wonder and rejoicing, receives God's word through the angel that God is keeping his covenant. How do I know that she rejoiced? Because of what the text says next. Read on with me. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste 
into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, verse 39, the text says that she went with haste to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. Why do you think she did that? I don't think it was because she was afraid of the uh, the local townspeople's reaction. Uh, if that's possible, uh, you know, that might be possible that she would be afraid of that. But the thing is, she, if that was the case, if that was her fear, she would not have gone home after three months. I think she goes with haste because she has received the most startling news you can possibly receive. And she is going to the one person who would understand about startling news, (laughs) right? She knows that my, my cousin Elizabeth is pregnant despite no, there being no possible way that that could occur. I'm about to be pregnant despite there being no possible way that could occur. I wonder who I need to go and share the news with, right? The one other person that I know in a similar situation of an impossible conception that has happened nonetheless because God is doing a new thing in these women's lives. And I think she goes over her out of her joy over what God has told her. And when she arrives, John the Baptist from Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. I think that tells us a couple things. First of all, it tells us that a child in the womb is alive and conscious. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says. That a child in the womb is alive and conscious and aware of what goes on. That is a life. Amen? A human life. And also it's telling us that John is even from the womb fulfilling his role as the forerunner of Jesus coming. John's role is to be like the, the, the best man at the wedding. Remember, Jesus talks about this. The role of the best man at the Jewish wedding is to shout and announce, this here comes the groom, right? And... and And that's what John is doing even in Mary's womb. He is celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. And Elizabeth in her joy is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is a significant detail because we live as New Testament Christians and every person who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ is automatically filled with the Spirit at the moment they put their trust in Christ. But prior to the the Spirit's coming at the day of Pentecost, this is an unusual thing. This didn't happen to everybody who was a believer. And and so the Spirit would come and go from people in the Old Testament days uh, at various times. And it comes on her right at that moment. 
the Spirit comes and she speaks a prophetic word, if you will, over Mary. And the fact that it is an honor that the mother of the Lord should appear in her humble little house. Now, you need to understand the emphasis here of the text is not the mother of the Lord. It's the mother of the Lord is here. Okay? It's the fact that it's that Jesus is a big deal. Not that Mary is. And Elizabeth is honored that Jesus has come with his mother. And she encourages Mary to believe all that God has said to her. That she might rejoice in God's blessing on her even more. Because it would be easy in a time and in a place where you will soon face harsh criticism and shame and ostracism over the fact that you are pregnant out of wedlock. See, it's hard for us to even imagine this. Our culture is so uh, promiscuous and lascivious and wicked in terms of all things uh, related to sexuality that we can't even imagine a day when a woman being pregnant without being married would be a shameful thing. It would, that it would shame her family and bring shame on her. But this is what Mary is about to experience, and she knows that that's going to be her lot in life. And so it would be easy to doubt that what had happened to you is indeed God's blessing. Amen? Whoever heard of a Messiah being born to an unmarried woman and a village girl from Galilee besides? Oh, oh yeah, okay, virgin birth. All right, yeah, I got you. That's the reality, that's the truth. But that's not what most people will believe. In fact, I think it shows up later on in the Gospels where they where they speak about Jesus and they say, oh, isn't this the, the son of the carpenter? I think there's a word they're leaving out. Isn't this the illegitimate son of the carpenter, the one that they had before they got married? But Mary receives this great encouragement from Elizabeth's lips by the Spirit's power. Blessed is she who believed there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, Mary, don't stop believing what you were told by the angel. You are blessed. God really has bestowed the greatest of all of His blessings on you in particular. God is keeping His Word to you and to all humanity through you. So rejoice in God's blessing bestowed. Let's keep reading. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. 
And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, this passage is usually called Mary's Magnificat because the verb that's translated here magnifies in the ESV in Latin is the word Magnificat. Uh, it's a song that her heart sings in response, and its words echo a lot of the Psalms of the Old Testament. And I think that shouldn't be surprising because, after all, her name in Hebrew is not Mary. Mary's an anglicized form. Her name in Hebrew is Miriam. You know another Miriam in the Old Testament? Who is she? She's the woman who is Moses' sister, who leads the whole nation, all of the women, in rejoicing and worship after they cross the Red Sea. She teaches the women to sing and dance in worship and praise of God the Almighty and what He has done. And so, a woman who is her namesake some 2,000 years later, 1,500 years later, sorry, um, 1,500 years later, sings in response to what God has done. She would have been well taught from the Psalms how to sing in worship. And if you look closely at the text, what you'll see is it's a song of deliverance a song of salvation that begins with Mary personally in verses 45 to I mean 46 to 49 and then it widens out to every generation who fears the Lord in verses 50 to 53 and then it focuses on his salvation for Israel the nation specifically in verses 54 and 55 and she is testifying in some sense prophesying about what God will do through the Messiah whom she bears, and she begins with herself. Not only because she herself needs redemption, but also because of what, what the fact of what God has already done for her testifies to the truth of what God will do through the Messiah that she is bringing into the world. That God has already blessed her and honored her despite her unworthiness, despite her humble estate, and he has done so because not of, not of her character, but because of his character. His holiness. And in that, God reveals the truth about who he is for all people. And verses 50 to 53 speak of how God in his mercy will overthrow the existing ways of the world. You know, nobody looking around at the world, if you, if you have lived very long, nobody looks around at the way things are in our world today and thinks, this is the best of all possible worlds. Everybody in power and, and with great riches deserves to be there and to have what they have, right? And everybody who is poor and oppressed, I mean, they deserve what they get, right? That's not what we think. We look around the world and we see great injustices. 
We see the humble and the meek and the righteous ground down in many places and the wicked die in their beds without a twinge of regret for how they have lived their life. We see, uh, we see people who are corrupt in positions of great power and influence from which they seemingly cannot be dislodged. But Mary speaks of coming of Messiah. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You know, it's interesting. You remember the Beatitudes? Remember the one about what will happen with the meek? They will inherit the earth. This is what Mary is talking about. That one day there will be a great reversal. And it won't be brought about by some you know, revolution by force of arms. It will be brought about by the coming of Messiah. And notice Mary... You, you, this is, makes me a bit of a word nerd, but look at the look at the the verb tense in those verses. There are three ways you can talk about an event happening, right? You can talk about an event in the future. You use the future tense. This is going to happen. This will happen, etc. Right? You can talk about it in the present tense. This is happening. Or you can talk about it in the past tense, right? This happened. How does she speak about Messiah's coming? In the past tense. And what He will do in the future. She speaks about it in the past tense. Isn't that confusing? It's because she is so confident in the reality and the truth of God's promises being fulfilled, that she speaks of the future as if it's already occurred. Is that faith? Yeah. So she speaks of the future reign of Messiah as if it has already occurred. I know that this will happen. I know that this will occur I believe what God has spoken by His Word. And then she also speaks in verses 54 and 55 about the restoration of Israel. You know one of the great things about God's promises? They are permanent. They're absolutely permanent. And they are irrevocable. When you were a kid, did you ever like you know, you make promises to each other, you know, and they say things like, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, in other words, you're trying to indicate you're making an irrevocable promise. God doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to, like, you know, I swear on my mother's grave. You know, you don't, you don't need to, you don't need to do that. Why? Because God's promises are always kept. And so God made a promise to Israel that one day uh, that his that the son of David would sit on David's throne and reign from Jerusalem on this earth. Will that happen? You betcha. 
that will happen. And, and so that's what Mary is talking about. She's saying, you made promises. And, and Abraham, from her perspective, is 2,000 years previous. From our perspective, that's 4,000 years ago. Is God going to keep His promise to Abraham? Yes. How do we know? Because Jesus came. And He is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham of a blessing to all nations who would come from His seed. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that through them all nations might be blessed. And that, and that the kingdom r- ruled over by David and his great descendants would continue forever and ever. Jesus is the Davidic king. And Mary again speaks of it in the past tense. By the way, did Jesus reign from David's throne in Jerusalem in his first coming? No. Not yet. But is that going to happen? Yes, indeed. Jesus' own feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split down the middle, and one part will go to the north, and one part will go to the south, and Jesus will walk through the eastern gate of the city, which right now has been walled up by the Muslims who live there. Did you know that? I think that's funny. I really do think it's funny. Like, if you think that that, that mortar and bricks will hold back the Messiah when he arrives. You haven't thought this through, <laughs> right? He will walk through the eastern gate and he will ascend and he will establish his kingdom from that place. And Mary is looking forward to that day. And, and it, she speaks of it again as if it's already happened because she has believed God's word. Now, Let me make the point of this text. Whenever you read narrative portions of Scripture like this, it's tempting for us to look at the people in it, particularly one who is as admirable as Mary is. And Mary is an admirable person. We as Protestants sometimes give Mary short shrift. Um, She is an admirable person, a faithful woman who walked with God. She is not in any way perfect. She's not someone that you should pray to. She's not someone that you should burn incense to or anything like that. But she is an admirable woman. But I think the point for us is not to look to her as an example to follow. It's true that the Scriptures give us many examples, both good and bad, uh, of some faithful believers of the past, but that is not their intended point. For example, in this text, we see Mary praising God and showing us what rejoicing in God and in His provision can look like. But the point of this passage is not be like Mary. Because who is the hero of the text? God. The Scripture records a lot of stories about people, but Jesus is the central figure of the Scriptures. He is the hero. And in this text, He reveals Himself to be a God who is worthy of praise, one in whom that we should rejoice greatly because of what kind of God He is and what He has done 
for us through Mary. Why should we praise God? Why should we rejoice? Well, we should rejoice in our God and Savior this Christmas for three very important reasons. Number one, because He is a God who keeps His covenant promises. It's vital for us to remember and praise God and rejoice in the fact that He is a God who keeps covenant, who keeps His promises, who is faithful to His word. So many of God's promises are impossibly wild. I mean, they are. When you actually get them out verbally into the air, they sound crazy, right? Okay, so you're telling me that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yes. Okay, and you're telling me that He is right now dwelling at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Yes. And you're telling me that He is coming back from there with a host of angels to defeat evil fully and finally and reign from Jerusalem? Yes. Do you realize how strange that sounds? Yes. <laughs> okay. Why do I believe it? Because God made that promise. And God keeps His promises 100% of the time. He is batting a thousand on keeping His Word. <laughs> okay? It really will happen that the lion will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the young goat, that the child will play by the hole with the venomous snake and be completely safe, that everyone will sit under his own vine and fig tree and no one will make you afraid, that people will beat their swords into plow into plows and their spears into pruning hooks, and no one will train for war anymore. God is a God who keeps His promises. Christ will reign, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the water covers the sea. How can these things happen in this world and in this life with all of its wicked people? Aren't these things impossible? No. Not any more impossible than that God Himself would become incarnate in a virgin's womb. And since we know that that happened, we can rejoice knowing that all the other things that God has promised will come true because His first coming proves the second. So rejoice in God your Savior. You can rejoice also because God is a God who bestows blessings. God is a God who bestows blessings. God does judge sin and evil, and He will one day deal permanently with both of them. But He is also the God of great blessings for those that He loves. And He has blessed us immeasurably through His Son, Jesus Christ. So rejoice, rejoice, celebrate, because the God of blessings has given to you the ultimate blessing, the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ himself. And that brings me to number three, rejoice, because God has delivered eternal salvation for us in Christ and for all people. He has offered salvation to us as individuals, to the nation of Israel, 
with whom he made his original covenant and to all those who believe in him. And we can all experience eternal life through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone by God's grace alone. And we therefore have incredible reasons to rejoice in this season. Because we have this reminder that God has driven a stake through the most unlikely story you can imagine. That God came to an ordinary girl uh, and, and made an angelic announcement that she would bear Him in the flesh. And that, she would, that the child would be born to a pauper and to his wife in a stable in a little town of Bethlehem and be announced by angels and worshipped by shepherds and celebrated by wise men from the east. The most improbable story in the world is true. And it's true because Jesus had you in mind and He came to die on the cross for you and for me to lay down His life for our sins and to be raised from the dead to save us for eternity as a people for Himself. Brothers and sisters, if you cannot rejoice at Christmas, I don't know when you can. (laughs) Right? We ought to kick up our heels and be people of great joy. Jesus Christ is yours. So go tell it on the mountain. Amen? Over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. So, rejoice in God your Savior who kept His covenant, bestowed His blessing, and brought eternal salvation through His Son for you and me. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for all these things. These blessings that you have given us in Christ are too wonderful for us to comprehend. We don't even understand how some of them even happened, and yet they did. Through your magnificent power and your amazing grace, Father, you sent your Son to invade a wicked world, that it might be saved through him, and that people for yourself might be brought to you by your grace and mercy as your spirit works. And Father, we are amazed. We pray that you would fill our hearts with such joy that we rejoice all month long. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing I want to say before I go. On the 23rd of this month, there will be an open house at my house. And I want all of you to come. I want to make our entry into that neighborhood noisy. All right. (laughs) And I want all of them to be like, what are all the people doing at the horns? Okay. And I'm serious. Please come and celebrate with us God's blessing. Thank you.